It is good to be together. It is good to have these conversations. We're going to take a few minutes, and today we are going to explore the subject of love. Now, um, I think I was a little bit unprepared for the birth of my first child. Um, Now, we had been through all the the classes together about labor and how this is going to work. I'd been around a few babies, you know, when I was, uh, before I had my first children, but I never really held babies. Uh, You know, I was always afraid of them. I'm going to, I'm going to hurt them. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not going to know what to do. I don't want to drop someone's baby. That's a bad thing to do. Make that a life goal. Don't drop people's babies. But I was just afraid of them. And so we find ourselves at the hospital and not everything went perfectly um, uh, that day as uh, Sarah went into labor. Uh, But our beautiful first daughter was born, Alyssa, and uh, from the moment I held her, something was different, right? From the moment I, I picked up my child and, you know, followed the nurses around the hospital as they do all the things they have to do when a baby's first born, you know, just something, something changed in me. Um, I knew a kind of love and had an experience that I had never known previously, and probably what I remember most about our, our visit and the birth of our first child was, um, you know, they say, okay, you're ready to go home. And I have this moment of sheer terror. Like, it's time to go home. I won't have all of these nurses caring for Sarah and for my child and for me. I'm so freaked out. Like, what in the world is going to happen? And I remember uh, walking out of the hospital carrying our baby and uh, just feeling proud. You know, people smile as you're carrying a baby out of a hospital at you. And uh, I got in the car and I put the key in the ignition and I could not turn the ignition, not because the car was broken, but because I was fighting off this mini panic attack. Like, I don't know if we can do this, right? And our, and our children grow and, uh, and in time, uh, we start to experience this beautiful thing, having poured all the love that we can into our children, having spent many sleepless nights and having uh, wo- mended their wounds when they fall and scrape their knees and all the things that we do to love them, this remarkable thing starts to happen. They come of an age where they begin to be able to reciprocate that love. There comes this moment when they start to uh, come up and hug you and say, I love you. And where they start to write notes, uh, telling their parents, you know, I love you. And they draw little pictures for you. And it's been this remarkable journey of discovering the reciprocal nature of love. And today as we explore the subject of love and Advent, uh, we're going to look at it in two primary parts. We're going to look at love demonstrated, the way God has loved us, the way God has loved humanity. And then we're going to look at love reciprocated. And that's our story. The way that God's love propels us towards lives of love. So we'll explore that together as we consider love today on Advent. I'm going to start with a verse that if you grew up in church uh, and you went to Bible school, you probably memorized this verse at some point. John 3.16, and if you know it, you can say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's this iconic verse, and it's memorized in our Bible school classes, and it's shared with our children. It's readily on our mind. It's simple in its nature, but deep and profound in its understanding. 
God loved the world so much that he gave his son that we could have eternal life. Now, John, the author of the gospel uh, that, we're, that we're studying through as a church right now, taking a break here during Advent, we're going to lean head of, heavily into the words of John. And he goes in, uh, in chapter 4, in, into further uh, explanation of this idea that he talks about in chapter 3. In verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John speaks remarkable words of the love of God and the story of Jesus as this atoning sacrifice. And I want to rewind the story just a little bit today as we explore uh, what, what does this depth of love mean and look like? So Israel, God had made a covenant with a man named Abraham, and he said, uh, I'm going to bless you. If you keep my commands, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. So God says, if you'll keep my commands, I will shower such blessing on you that all of the nations will receive the overflow of what I will do through your people, through this great nation that I am creating. Now, uh, you might be familiar with, Israel continually fell short of their end of covenant. They did not obey God's commands. They did not uh, worship him exclusively. They turned to other gods and they turned to their own ways and trusted in their own strength and power as a nation. They betrayed God time and time again in this covenant relationship, and yet God demonstrated his love in continually restoring and bringing hope in spite of the things, the ways that Israel is breaking covenant. And so as the story progresses, Israel has become this great nation. What God had promised them has come to fruition, and yet Israel has turned away from God. And in turning away from God, they have lost their sovereignty. Rome is ruling over this nation. But God has been promising for hundreds of years through the prophets, a savior will come. The Messiah is coming. And here in John chapter four, he describes this Messiah as Jesus, whom God has sent into the world. That his loving act is to send this savior into the world to bring new hope. And here's what's most fascinating about the story of Israel and God and his covenant and, and Jesus. A realization that only in the past few years I've come to, but the, the beauty of the story goes so much deeper for me as I realized that Israel had completely fallen short of covenant, completely undeserving of receiving or distributing the blessings of God, but God in his great love, in his great mercy, in his great faithfulness, chooses to do this. He chooses to lift Israel up and fulfill both ends of covenant in the story of Jesus. God chooses to bring Jesus to earth, calling 12 apostles, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, and through these 13 men, through Jesus and these 12 apostles, uh, he is going to, to pour out a blessing on the world unlike it has ever 
received. And here's the fascinating thing about the story of Israel and God's great mercy to, to, to make this promise to Israel for Israel to fall short of their end of covenant and yet God to fulfill his promises anyways, his demonstration of love. But here's the remarkable thing to me. You and I are the benefactors of that great blessing of God's decision to bring Jesus and to restore Israel to the extent that out of them could flow the story of Christian faith and new hope and new life. We are the benefactors, right? Halfway around the world now, this message has spread throughout the world, and we get to know the hope and the love of Jesus. It's quite easy in Western Christendom to think of ourselves as the purveyor of mission and Christianity, and we are sending it into the world, and that's good. We are missional people. And yet, uh, we are actually the recipients of God's great love bestowed on Israel that has poured out into all of the world. So that is the story of God's love. But it's fascinating to me the way God chose to demonstrate his love. In the birth of Jesus, a sacrificial choice that he would leave his place in heaven and come to earth born an innocent and helpless child, right? Jesus comes into the world unable to do anything for himself, is cared for by human beings. What humility it shows that he would take that step. And then he will live this life on earth, persecuted, misunderstood, mistreated, eventually crucified. He demonstrates incredible sacrifice in the way he chooses to fix the problem. See, here's the thing. God chose to come down and to be present in the mess. God chose to come and to be present in the the drama and the hurt and the realities of the world in which Jesus would live. Wouldn't it have been convenient for God just to kind of fix the problem from afar, right? Wouldn't it have been convenient and easy just to speak, as he did in creation, the solution to the problem that was Israel and the hurt and the sin and the brokenness that existed in the world, and yet God didn't choose that course of action. Instead, he chose to come and to be present, to dwell amongst the very people that he loves deeply. I'm reminded in, in this uh, of just the power of presence. This last week, my grandmother, um, my mom's mother, uh, fell and fractured her hip. And uh, a lot of family showed up. We have a lot of family in the area at the hospital And I've been reflecting on the reality that uh, none of us could fix grandma's problem, right? None of us could be there and, and, and heal or cure the ailment that she had. We did have prayer on our side, and God is powerful, and she is recovering quickly. Uh, we're fortunate for that. However, none of us could immediately fix the problem at hand. So the only resource we had at our disposal was our presence, Right? To sit and to talk and to pray and to be there in a time of hurt and suffering. And we learn this by God's example. Instead of fixing the problems of the world from afar, he chooses to come and to be present and to walk the roads of Israel and to touch the hurting person and to heal and to help. God chose to dwell among us, and this is the demonstration of his great love. 1 John 4, verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
So this is where we begin to transition. We've heard a little bit about God's story of love, his absolute faithfulness in spite of the uh, betrayal he experienced from the people he called on, on mission with him. God was absolutely loving, and we begin to transition with 1 John here as he says, so we've come to know a God of love, therefore we ought to live lives of love. This is where we begin to ask the question of what does it look like to reciprocate the love that we have received? We are the benefactors of God's great promise for restoration and new life in this world, for an eternal hope. We are the, we are the recipients of that beautiful, beautiful gift. So what does it look like then to reciprocate that love in the world around us? Well, it starts with this, and I didn't pull the verse up, I'll describe it. Jesus is talking um, a, a number of different times, the subject come, comes up where people ask, so what is the greatest commandment? These are Israelite people asking an Israelite rabbi, Jesus, uh, what, so what's the most important commandment? Because at this time, it had gotten really messy. From the 600-something commandments you can find in Scripture, uh, there were now thousands of commandments that the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious rulers, were imposing upon people. It had gotten really messy and become, uh, as Jesus will describe, a burden that no person could bear, a weight that no person could stand up under. And so they would ask questions like, well, let's try to sum it up. What's the most important? And Jesus says, well, it's this, love God with all of your being. He says, love God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. This is what's central to the story of the law and the prophets and all of the Old Testament scripture. But he didn't stop there. He says, and also, love your neighbor as yourself. If we read the stories revolving around uh, Jesus' proclamation there of the two greatest commandments, he'll be asked, so who is your neighbor? And he'll tell the story of a good Samaritan. And in essence, he will tell us, your neighbor is whomever you come across on the road. Whomever you come into the presence of, that's your neighbor. And he calls us to love. In John 13, Jesus is talking with his apostles shortly before he will be crucified. And um, they're talking again on the subject of what, all these commands that have become burdensome and heavy upon the people. And Jesus, uh, kind of an audacious moment, says, but I give you a new command. But what's interesting is this is the one command that Jesus will choose as binding for his followers. He says this uh, in John thirteen thirty four: a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, it's going to be this simple. This is the command I give you. These are your marching orders. This is how I want you to operate in life. I want you to love each other. And then he qualifies it with, but I want you to love as I have loved. And Jesus sets the bar so unbelievably high that, again, they're probably left thinking this is unattainable. You see, because Jesus loves in sacrificial ways. Jesus loves without bias or discrimination. Jesus would engage the neighbor, the person that he came across in loving ways. You know, love's not easy. Uh, not always easy. I mean, if we really want to be honest on the subject of love and consider what does it look like to live lives of love, I think we have to acknowledge 
that it's not near as easy as it sounds. And so we could walk out of here all today saying, yeah, I'm going to be more loving, and then we'll get into the reality of the experiences of this life, right? It's easy to love those that love us back. It's easy to love those that we're closest to and have chosen to live life together with. Uh, It's easy to love lovable people, uh, but it's much harder to love in the margins, on the outskirts of society or the outskirts of our uh, relational experiences and social circles. It's incredibly challenging to love. And often when we think of loving in the margins, as Jesus demonstrates for us, um, we, uh, we think of homeless people or um, uh, people addicted to drugs, and we're like, man, that could be hard to love. But if if we're going to be a little bit more practical and real, we've got to admit that we have coworkers that it's really hard to love, that sometimes actually the hardest people to love are the people closest to us, a spouse continuing to struggle with the same sort of situation or whatever that might look like. Sometimes I become callous to the extent that it's hard to really demonstrate my love for my own, for my own wife. I think this is a reality. The bar is set high. We are invited to love like Jesus loved, but the reality of the way I walk in this world makes it incredibly challenging. I know this gal named Krista, and uh, when when we first met Krista a year, a little over a year ago, uh, she was homeless here in the Tri-Cities. And she had a tragic story of hurt and losing kids to the foster system and, and kids, her children being abused, her parents basically disowning her. And uh, Krista was another one of those stories that when we sat with her, um, we couldn't fix the problems immediate, immediately. Like We could offer a little bit of assistance. Um, but Krista was this exercise uh, for me in uh, realizing the power of presence, the importance of being there when people struggle, even when we can't immediately solve the problems. Let me tell you, uh, engaging with people like Krista is challenging. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's not always enjoyable. A little while back, we, um, we served a meal. Uh, we, we as a church donated a meal to this homeless shelter, uh, so that Krista could have her favorite meal and a, um, and carrot cake, which is, uh, just her favorite thing in the world. And so my family and I got to sit there and eat with about 40 homeless and displaced people here in the Tri-Cities and share a, a birthday celebration with Krista. And there was gratitude and there was smiles. And as Krista's story has developed and as we've continued to point her towards great resources and opportunities in the community, uh, it's a blessing to get to see Krista living in an apartment now. Uh, following two heart attacks in the last year, uh, her health is actually improving. And uh, she's finding some stability and staying under a single roof. Uh, she's avoiding some of the people and struggles that have caused her to spiral. And I know this. I know that I, I didn't solve Krista's problems in any way, shape, or form. But I do know that the love of God that he has demonstrated to us invites us even into the most difficult of places to at least be present and demonstrate God's love in the lives of other people. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus continues to uh, challenge us on this subject as he says, 
But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I want to be honest. Uh, I don't always want to love my enemies. Um, in fact, I think that's the last thing we ever want to do when it comes to enemies and challenging situations. I'll recommend, I'll recommend to you a book by Desmond Tutu. He is a pastor in South Africa and writes, has written a number of remarkable books. Uh, but, but one that I read recently was called No Future Without Forgiveness. Now, South Africa has been a story of atrocious abuse, um, apartheid, and uh, uh, a minority Caucasian European people uh, subjecting the people of South Africa to harsh treatment and, and cruel rule uh, with no accountability. And for many years, uh, South Africa su- suffered under this uh, terrible position called apartheid. And when finally their first free election came, their, their first general election, and a new leader was elected in South Africa, hope began to come onto the stage. Maybe this could all change. But the problem with the kind of abuse that was experienced there and in many other nations and in many other seasons, including our own nation, uh, where genocide exists, deep, long-seated hurts reside. Even if a new president is elected, even if uh, uh, the political system begins to change, the reality, the devastation of those years still exists in a country. So Desmond Tutu and uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee uh, that says, how do we bring a nation together on the backside of this terrible, terrible thing uh, in in our history? How do we bring this nation back together? Well, in every other uh, case in the world of of, uh, genocide, and these terrible acts, uh, typically a few of the highest ranking people will be punished for the crimes. And then the rest of the people that just participated in another way, uh, that participated in the abuse and violence but weren't the ones in charge, are just given a broad pardon, right? There's, There's just a pardon that says we have to move beyond this, so we have to pardon all of these things and move forward as a nation. Well, Desmond Tutu in this committee decided a different path. They said, we will give pardon for truth. They said, if you will tell your story of of the crimes that you committed, you will receive your pardon in full. And what you can read in this book is remarkable stories of people fessing up to the terrible things that they had done and finding, in fact, forgiveness, relationship, and new hope from the very families left in the wake of the things that they had done, right? They chose this journey to say, uh, we have a serious problem with enemies, a polarized nation, and we want to move beyond it. But Desmond Tutu firmly says there will be no future without forgiveness. We have to find ways to bring the two back together. And today, as Jesus challenges us, what does it look like to love our enemies I think honesty and forgiveness are going to be central in these conversations. Let me broaden it a little as we we close out, and, and let me say this. We are invited to love, 
not because we are the source of love, but because we have been so loved that what overflows out of us, like the story of God's blessing through Israel, can be God's love. We are invited to to reciprocate the love that we have received in the world. It will not always be easy. It will not always be our first choice. It will often not be the things that we want to do. But because we have been so deeply loved, we are invited to demonstrate God's love in the world around us. So Jesus, he, uh, he called those 12 ordinary people, very different people that normally could, would never sit in a room together. And he calls these 12 ordinary people and unleashed through them remarkable potential, world-changing potential through these 12 people. And I sit here in a room of diverse people with different backgrounds, different ethnicity, different walks of life, and different careers. We are a very diverse people. And I know this, in this room, there is that same world-changing potential. There is remarkable potential in, in, in this people, in this place. And yet the challenge today is that the mark of the people of Jesus, the potential that that is held in this room, will be directly linked to our ability to love. Does that make sense? Like the potential that Jesus uh, unleashed on the world to these 12 men, he said this will be directly linked to the ways that you choose to love. Will you choose to love as I have loved? Our potential will be linked to uh, our ability to be present. Uh, As Jesus came in human flesh, incarnation, God on earth, uh, we too are invited to be present in the realities of the world around us with those that are closest to us and those that that are the hardest to love. The invitation is to be present in those moments and to love people. The invitation today is that we learn to allow God's love to flow through us. As we leave here today, I'd invite you to reflect a little bit on God's love for you, right? If this is to be rooted in the idea that I have been first loved, I think it would be a nice time, a nice season of reflecting, talking with our friends or our family about God's love for us, quite often it's easy to see the doom and the gloom and the problems in life much easier than it is to see the blessing and the love that God has demonstrated. So having, having reflected upon the ways that God has loved us, loved us, I invite us to consider what it looks like to live lives of love in the week to come. Let's pray as we close out. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus and a story uh, of, of Jesus come to earth, born as a child, raised in ordinary circumstances. Father, we thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for the ways that he engaged and chose to be present. And in all of that, Father, we thank you that he chose, that you chose the way of love. And Father, today, help us um, to, to grasp a new understanding of what it looks like to live a life of love in the world around us. Father, teach us to love better those closest to us, our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends. Father, teach us to love more fully. 
And Father, for the many people we come in contact, our neighbors, the people that we pass on a daily basis, that we have conversation with, our coworkers, Father, teach us to love. Uh, teach us to demonstrate your love in those arenas. And Father, for those furthest on the margins, I pray that you will give us courage, insight, wisdom, ability to engage in loving ways that people can know the hope that you offer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So friends, thank you for joining us in the week to come. May we know more of the love of God and may we demonstrate his love. Have a great week.